0: But So last week we had um, Samuel's calling, and this week we're looking at Samuel's ministry. And Teresa is going to uh, bring us our reading uh, this morning. And this is from 1 Samuel, chapter 7, if you wish to follow it.
1: Samuel subdued the Philistines at Miskah. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to the whole house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts... Then rid yourselves of the foreign goods and the ashtoreth and commit yourselves to the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the Israelites put away their bowels and ashtoreth and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had, had, when they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fastened, and there they confessed, We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. When the Philistines heard that Israel had assembled at Mizpah, the rulers of the Philistines came up to attack them. When the Israelites heard of it, they were afraid because of the Philistines. They said to Samuel, Do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. Then Samuel took a suckling lamp and sacrificed it, sacrificed it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Through Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gus that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored, and Israel delivered the neighbouring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year he went out on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgar to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he has also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thank you. I'm just going to jump straight in and share with you a little bit of the context uh, of what is going on in this passage here. So right before this passage, the Israelites had lost the Ark of the Covenant, um, They had gone to war against the Philistines and they had foolishly taken the Ark of the Covenant uh, with them uh, to the battlefield, hoping and believing um, that in taking it out with them, God would give them the victory. Now the Ark of the Covenant uh, was this golden box that contained the Ten Commandments and it was a symbol of God's uh, presence on earth with his people. So the Philistines beat them in battle and they took the Ark of the Covenant and took it back to their cities. But we see that the Philistines, after a couple of months, realized that uh, actually it was a bad idea that they had taken the the Ark of the Covenant um, because God started striking them down. So we see there's one story how the Ark of the Covenant uh, was set up in the temple of Dagon, and uh, Dagon, uh, the Philistines were worshipping him, the statue of it, uh, it ends up falling on its face, and its arms and its heads break off. And the Philistines start to get tumours, and the people start dying. After about seven months, they realise, we need to send the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, back to the Israelites, and back to God's people. And so the Philistines send it back, and the Israelites set up uh, once again, and that's basically where we jump in right here. We see uh, the first part of the story is a story about revival that God stirs up in the midst of his people. So verse 2 through to verse 6 is the story of this revival. It has been 20 years since the ark of the Lord had returned to Israel. And we read in verse 2, Then the whole house of the Lord longed for the Lord. Then Samuel responded by telling the people that if this is the case, they need to turn away from their sin, they need to let go of their idols, and they need to return to the Lord. A very basic principle of revival if you want God to revive you. You can't have that and have your sin. It's either your sin or it's God. It's either you walking in rebellion or it's, you getting, uh, or it's you getting to experience the favor of the blessings of the Lord. You actually can't have both of these things at once. And so the people's hearts are stirred up and they are longing for the Lord. And so Samuel says to them, okay, if that's what you want, get rid of your sin You need to get rid of those idols, and you need to return to the Lord and seek his face. An essential principle of revival. And so the nation does exactly that. Samuel calls all the people together. uh, They gather at Mizpah, and there they cry out for the Lord, and they repent of their sins. And here we have an important application for us as a church, because though the people of God have been unfaithful, We see that God is entirely faithful to them. Because when they cry out to God, God uh, revives them. He responds, and he actually does revive his people. We see this over and over again in the story of Israel. We see that God blesses them immensely. And he causes them to prosper, and they experience his favor, and God is near to his people, and they have this for a season. And everything is going well, and we slowly see, bit by bit, They end up going back to their foreign gods. They end up rebelling against the Lord. They end up forgetting how God has redeemed them. And then God has to judge them for it. He judges them for it by allowing foreign nations to come against them. And their prosperity starts to wane. They're not victorious in battle like they were when God was near to them. All these things start to go wrong for them and they realize God is disciplining us. We need to go back to God once again. They repent of their sins, they leave off their idols, they can clear out of the land all the statues and all the things that are dishonoring to God, and God blesses them again. He pours out his favor upon them again, and so we see here this picture that even though we as God's people time and time again are unfaithful to him, he is never unfaithful to us. He is constant. He is never changing, yesterday, today, and forever. He is the same in his love towards us and his commitment towards us. And if we were only to repent of our sins and seek his face, we get to experience all these things. And that's very much a story of God and this church as well. We have tried to seek the, seek the Lord the best we can, and we've tried to preach his word the best we can, and we've repented of our sins as a congregation as God has made known our sins to us. But I can promise you this very morning that we have not fulfilled that standard perfectly. I can reassure you that we have not sought the Lord with all our hearts 100%. I know for certain that even this very day, we as a church are falling short. We are not a perfect bunch of people. But our comfort does not come from our performance. And it does not come from our ability to obey God or our commitment to him. Our comfort comes from the fact that he is perfect. And he is uh, perfect in his commitment to us. And he has never let us down. I remember uh, applying for university. And... uh, I had two options, I was either going to go to Portsmouth or I was going to go to Chester and I remember going uh, on an open day to Chester and just feeling the sense of peace in my heart and a sense of calling towards Chester and that God had something special lined up for me in Chester. And so on results day, I uh, went into school, I got my envelope, I opened the envelope, all my friends around me were really excited and happy they got into their place and I looked down my grades and I didn't get the grades I needed. And so... I got an instant no from Portsmouth and I had to ring up Chester to see what they would say. And so I rang them up and uh, they said they couldn't let me know until uh, the following day in the morning. And so I had to try again the next morning. And so then that day, that whole day, uh, I was with my friends. It was our last time before we went our different ways. And um, they were all so excited for the future. And uh, there was a buzz about the place. And also kind of sad because we're uh, not going to see each other for a long time. But I just remember sitting there and just being so lost. I remember just feeling so abandoned and I felt so annoyed towards God and so confused that, you know, God had called me to this place and suddenly this hurdle had got in my way and I didn't know how to overcome that and I was uh, so angry and so annoyed and so so frustrated. And so the next day came, I, uh, I rang Chester and yet again they said, we can't tell you till tomorrow morning. And so two days go by now, and that uh, my confusion, in my head, the, the mental battle I have in my head is starting to grow. And I decide that I need to go through clearing if I want to go to university. And so I rang two different universities up. Uh, one of them said, again, we can't let you know till tomorrow. I was like, oh, for goodness sake. Um, and then um, I had this other one. They said, come to an open day. And so I went to this open day, and I did not get this sense of peace. I didn't get the sense of calling to go there. My heart was still saying, Chester is the place for you. You need to go to Chester. But then I was confused because everything was saying, no, you're not going to Chester. There's no way you're going to Chester. There's there's no hope in that. On the drive home from uh, this other university, I got a call from this other place, and they said they wanted to accept me and have me there. Um, And then when I got home, I got a call from Chester saying that they want to accept me, and I'd have a place in Chester University. And I remember putting the phone down and I was sitting there and just thinking, I've been so unfaithful. God had said to me that this was the place for me and that I was called to be there and that was a promise that he made to me. And as soon as the first hurdle came my way, I completely ignored it. I completely pushed him away and I was unfaithful. Just one of the examples of where I was unfaithful and he was perfectly faithful to me. He convicted me, he gave me grace to change, and then he established me as I sought to obey him. This is the first thing I really want us to think about this morning. And Paul uh, articulates this so wonderfully in 2 Timothy 2, verse 13, where he says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. When we are faithless, he remains faithful. So then after the people of Israel cry out to the Lord to revive them, uh, verse 7 through to verse 11, we see that this battle takes place. So what had happened was that all the Israelites gathered together in Mizpah. The Philistines caught wind of what was going on, and they decided that they need to arm up and they need to go, and, uh, go into battle against Israel. Maybe they thought to themselves, Oh no, all of Israel gathering together. They're going to come and attack us. Uh, what other reason would they be gathering together? They're going to attack us, let's quickly go and attack them before they attack us and let's get them on the back foot. Or maybe they thought to themselves, all of the Israelites are gathered in one place, let's get them in one lethal blow and wipe them out. We don't know exactly what the Philistines uh, were thinking, but the Israelites are gathered at Mizpah, and so the kings and the rulers of the Philistines call all their armies together, all their weaponry, all their forces, and they decide that they are going to attack the Israelites. Now, you have to understand the situation of the Israelites as well. The Israelites, uh, they don't have some sort of great uh, leader who are able to organize them into battle. They don't have great weaponry. They are people who aren't trained for war. There's really nothing special about these people when looking at their military abilities. So it makes perfect sense that when your enemy nation is gathering together about to attack you, that you start to feel a little bit worried, a little bit scared And so people go to Samuel, and they say, Samuel, please cry out to the Lord. Please intercede for us. Please go to God and ask him to protect us. And so Samuel, what he does is he goes before God, reading from verse 9. Then Samuel took a young lamb, offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. He cries out to the Lord on behalf of Israel, and the Lord answered him. The Israelites didn't have this great defense of their own, but they did have God as their defense. They didn't have great chariots, uh, they didn't have great weaponry, and they didn't have great battle strategies. But they did have a God that rules the universe. They have a God that parts waters and causes manna to fall from the sky and water to come from a rock. A God that leads them through the wilderness and stops their clothes from wearing out. That's the type of God that they have. He's faithful, he's powerful, and he's more than happy to defend his people. So the Israelites find themselves in this situation. They do not have the power to defend themselves, so they call upon their defender, the God of omnipotence. And we see here that he comes to fight for his people. And so Samuel gives up the offering he cries out to the Lord, and then reading from verse 10, Samuel was offering the burnt offering as the Philistines approached to fight against Israel. The Lord thundered loudly against the Philistines that day, and threw them to such confusion, they were defeated by Israel. Then the men of Israel charge out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, striking them down all the way to a place below beth So there is Samuel. He was giving up the offering. He is interceding for his people. There is Israel. They are ready to engage in the battle. There are the Philistines. They're charging against Israel. And we see that at this moment, God thunders. And he thunders in such a powerful way that he sends the entire Philistine army into confusion. They don't know what is going on. And in the midst of the confusion, the Israelites are able to charge in and wipe them out. And not only wipe them out, but they are able to take back some of the cities they had lost in previous years. And we see God glorifying his power. And something I find really interesting about this, this part of the passage, and something that's so significant, is the fact that the God of the Philistines, the god, one of the gods that they were worshipping, was the god Baal. And Baal was known as the god of the storm. So they have the Philistine god, the god Baal, the god of the storm. And you've got Jehovah, Yahweh, the god of Israel, who thunders and entirely shames the god of the storm, demonstrating his superiority of his power. And you see this time and time again throughout Israel's history. That as people seek his face, he takes delight in proving himself strong on their behalf and gives them victory over enemy nations. Now, I'm sure we have all been through some kind of battle, whether that's a, a physical battle or an emotional battle or even a spiritual battle. But God calls us to remember he is our defense. He is our defender where we have been weak, God demonstrates the sufficiency of his grace. In Psalm 44, verse 4 to verse 8, it says, you are my king, my God, who ordains victories over Jacob. Through you we drive back our foes, through your name we trample our enemies. For I do not trust in my bow and my sword does not bring me my victory but you will give us victory over my foes and let those who hate us be disgraced. We boast in God all day long. We will praise your name forever. Our confidence is not in the sword. Our confidence is not in the bow. Our confidence is not even in our armies. In other words, our confidence is not in our abilities to share the gospel or our confidence is not in our finances that uh, are able to bring the works of the kingdom together. Our confidence is not found in our pastors. Our confidence is not found in our Bible studies. Our confidence is not placed in these things. Yes, we use them and yes, uh, we can apply them the best we can. But our confidence comes from our God. It's by his strength that we are able to trample upon our foes. It's by his power that we can overcome the works of the devil. Where we have been weak, his grace has been sufficient. He has perfected his power in our weakness. And that's the second thing I want us to reflect on this morning. Where we have been weak, his grace has been sufficient. He has perfected his power in our weakness. And then the third thing is the stone called the Ebenezer. For you see in verse 12 through to verse 14, after God gives his people the victory over the Philistine, Samuel takes the stone and he sets it up as a monument and he calls that stone Ebenezer. Well, what does that mean? Well, Ebenezer means the stone of help. As it sets up the stone of help, he says that the Lord has helped us to this point. That stone was supposed to be this monument, this memorial set up where all of God's people gathered around would be able to look at it and to see for themselves that they have only been able to come this far because God has helped them. It was supposed to be a monument set up for the generations to come that everyone else in the future generations, the children, the men, the women, who saw this monument, that they would know that God's people only came this far because God had helped them. That's the true meaning of the Ebenezer Stone. That's why when we sing the song Thou... uh, Come thou fount, we sing here I raise my Ebenezer, here thereby thy great help I've come, and hope, and I hope by thy good pleasure safely to arrive home. When you sing that song, that's what you're singing, you're drawing on from this passage, you're drawing from the truth from this, and here thereby thy great help I've come. God, if it wasn't for your electing love, if it wasn't for your son dying on the cross, Lord, I would not be saved this very day if it's by your help that I have come this far. Lord, if it isn't for your sustaining grace, if it wasn't for the fact that you hold me in the palm of your hand, if it wasn't for the fact you are faithful even when I am faithless, Lord, I would not have come this far. God, if it wasn't for the fact that you've promised your church that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail, against it, if it isn't for the fact that, God, you have assured us that no weapon formed against us will prevail and it won't prosper, then, God, this church would not exist this very day. That's what we are acknowledging. We are saying that here we raise our Ebenezer, here thereby thy great help I've come. Hudson Taylor, the great Chinese missionary who started the, uh, the mission organization known as China Mission Inland, uh, God used them to save tens of thousands of people all throughout China. It was said that um, in each station that Hudson Taylor uh, set up where the missionaries would gather together, uh, they were trying to launch into a new territory to go and share the gospel, that they would have a little plaque printed out and on that placket it printed, it said, Ebenezer Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh saying that God is our provider. Ebenezer Jehovah-Jireh. That Hebrew expression saying that up until here, we've come by the help of the Lord. And he is our provider. In other words, he will be faithful to us as we move forward. Faithful up until now. Faithful moving forward. He has helped us until now. He will help us moving forward. This morning we get to look back and we get to acknowledge that it is only by, uh, it is only by God's help that we have come this far. It's important for us as God's people to have moments like this because one, we are so quick to forget so quick to forget where the help has come from. So quick to forget how we've got here. The many ways that God has blessed us and that he has provided for us, we are so quick to forget. But to make matters worse, we are not only quick to forget, but we are also quick to take the credit. God blesses us. God uses us. God exalts us. And instead of standing back and allowing uh, god to take the spotlight to shine on him because of what he has done we race into that spotlight and we try to take all the glory for ourselves we come with our dirty fingers and we try to uh, touch the crowns that belong to god and so this morning we acknowledge god we will not forget how good you have been to us and not only that we are not going to take the credit you deserve the credit for what has happened in this church I just want to summarise my points for you. Remembering uh, One, remembering that even when we are faithless, God is perfectly faithful to his people. Two, where we have been weak, his grace has been sufficient. He has perfected his power in our weakness. And three, the stone of Ebenezer. The Lord has helped us to this point and he will continue to be our strength and our provider. I want to finish by asking you, in your conversations today, let's talk about the great things God has done in our lives. This may be something that has happened this week, or uh, this month, or this year, or years that have gone by, but let's intentionally share with one another the good things that God has done for us, because without him, we would have not been here this morning. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are our Ebenezer, our stone of help. You are our defender, you are our defense. And Lord, let us remember that you are our provider. In Jesus' name, amen.